We live in a world of dynamic cyber threats, but one thing is clear, human behavior is the most vulnerable target for attacks. Welcome to Behave by CyberSafe, the foremost cybersecurity podcast focused on human cyber risk. Organizational awareness is no longer enough, so how will your team stay protected? Be sure to subscribe to Behave on your preferred listening app for cutting edge insights into our evolving industry and stay ahead of the shift to security behaviors and human risk quantification. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave podcast. I am Munya Hoto, VP of Marketing here at CybeSafe, and today I am delighted to be joined by Neve Muldoon, who is an award-winning information security thought leader with extensive expertise in creating and leading global security and trust initiatives across multiple industries. In 2001, she was appointed as CISO of Irish fintech unicorn Fernergo, having previously held leadership roles at One Login and also been on the leadership team that helped to bring DocuSign public. Based in Fernergo's global headquarters in Dublin, Neve heads up all things security related to Fernergo. Neve is very passionate about security and privacy and gives back to the industry via her lecturing and also sits on a scholarship review panel and continues to be a board member at FIT. She is also a holder of a Guinness World Record. We're going to get to know Neve quite well over the course of this conversation. But first of all, Neve, welcome to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us today. Oh my God, Manu, what an amazing introduction. Delighted to be here and uh, thanks for having me. Before we dive into any more, uh, how did you get a uh, a mention in the Guinness uh, Book of World Records and what was that about? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh my God, like looking back, if I had known that I would have had an opportunity to set a Guinness World Record around information security, I would have been just like, wow, give it to me. It happened when I was working at, at One Login, part of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Ransomware was the key threat out there at the time, 2021. And so what we did was for awareness to give back to the industry, we attempted to uh, a Guinness World Record of the number of views of the training around tabletop exercise for ransomware attack and what's needed to protect your organization there. And so partnering with Know Before, we did set the Guinness World Record in relation to that for the most views of a cybersecurity training on YouTube within one hour or so and across 24 hours. So yeah, that was an amazing achievement. Um, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And and I love the creativity around, you know, going for something that's quite notable and prominent in order to do something that's quite important and really rather helpful for the people that were watching or indeed participating in that. And we will touch on ransomware, I'm sure, over the course of this conversation, but that's really, really cool. And uh, you're the first person, I will say, on this podcast anyway, to hold a Guinness World Record. So For cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Wanga. You are very welcome. So let's let's go back in time a little bit and and learn more about just how does somebody end up in in your position? Of course, owning and running programs of this kind. How did you? How did, t- please take us through uh, the journey of your career. What did you study? Where did you study? Did you study? And then how did that evolve? And ultimately, I can kind of getting us to this point where we are in this role you have as a CISO. Yeah. So. 
you're not going to believe this and it's going to sound really kind of strange even saying it but when I started off in information security or cyber security it wasn't a career by choice there wasn't training in colleges for it uh, people fell into it they started to do in physical security and then computers were oh they're kind of like something an asset that you manage it's physical so that's where it started from um, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer in school I went to a convent school where the nuns said, no, Neve, you're good at math, so you should do business and economics. So my degree is in geography and economics with a, having worked at MIT in Boston testing technology systems for them one summer. I, I my, my grow or that's my love for technology grew and I came back and did HDIP in technology and I was fortunate enough to get into AIB and Irish Financial Institutions IT program and from within two weeks of working there September the 11th happened and the security team needed somebody to support them so I was brought them brought on board to look at innovative ways of being able to get your mail and calendar on mobile devices. And this predates uh, BlackBerry. So I came up with a way to get your email on a Nokia 6310i mobile phone. (laughs) And then from there, I spent like 12 years in, in AIB, which, you know, was very good to me, gave me a career path around um, training for security did various different roles, technical, program management, data. And then I moved to Paddy Power, where I transformed them from being an IT technology security company to an information security company. So understanding data as an information asset. From there, I took my career global, moved to Workday. The whole word, the cloud was out there, where I started and led their privacy, ethics and compliance team for Europe safe harbor it just happened when I was there so that was interesting the failure the the changes around privacy and what it meant to European companies I did miss being technical and when DocuSign reached out to me they had a strategy to grow internationally take over mergers and acquisitions uh, I moved there for four years where I met an amazing lady called Vanessa Pregros, Pegros who has really supported my career over the last six years to reach CISO I joined her then at OneLogin and other members of DocuSign that moved to OneLogin for leaders. So I guess looking back right at at my career, what is the one thing that that stands out? I was always working in new compliance projects, new technology projects, new ways of doing business. And so I had an appetite for learning. I have an appetite for learning and doing new challenging work. So I guess you know, people think your career in cybersecurity is set in stone. It's not. It's where you're you're passionate about really supports you driving forward on that. Neve, that's really, really fascinating, I have to say. And some really, really great brands in there, you know, MIT, AIB, Paddy Power, Workday, DocuSign. Those are great kind of, I'd say, you know, badges even. I think a lot of people would dream to work in one of those, uh, <laughs> let alone uh, across across all those organizations. But I am fascinated to double click on this idea of whenever these organizations are thinking about 
or they're, they're, they're getting a better understanding of an emergent threat or, or a, changing, a changing landscape, you seem to kind of bubble to the surface as somebody who could, who could manage that. How did you maneuver yourself into, into um, you know, discoverability in that sense, that when orgs are building something new or perhaps launching programs or changing their understanding or appreciation of uh, data, they think maybe we might need some of your, your help in understanding and expertise? Yeah, transformating. So it's really like a lot of people think information security and cybersecurity is about technology. Yeah, that's one aspect to it, but it's how it supports a business to grow, both from a a revenue influencing the direction you want to take the organization. And I think it's, it's working with business and technology. And so it's really important for business leaders out there to understand that and to understand the strategy from a data perspective, you know, what's needed to support your business to grow and what do you need to invest in? I think that's really, really interesting. As you say, I think almost incumbent understanding, not necessarily wisdom, I wouldn't call it that, uh, almost says these are these are kind of necessary evils in many organizations rather than programs that can be leveraged to help the business to grow. Now, the moment you introduce growth or expansion or uh, those types of adjectives into any conversation, then, you know, the board pays attention, uh, the executive team pays attention. And that's quite interesting that you've been able to help guide some of these organizations and leaders uh, from thinking of this as a just a compliance and necessary evil almost over here to being actually a strategic lever that can actually support support and drive business growth and success. How, 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 what, 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 how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. So I always go back to my very first job in, in security and uh, my manager said to me, I think I got, recogni- I got recognized for recognition in Warren or for being helpful. And it was like, oh my God, a security person was helpful. And it always played on my mind that the way security is seen as a cost or a problem instead of a business enabler. And if you look at my very first project, it was innovative ways of being able to get data on mobile devices securely, like a phone, your email, your contacts. So I don't know as a was I just fortunate that that was my first project and I've always been geared up around that way. But it's something that I continue to strive for for and around that trust and security is a business differentiator and it needs to be seen that way. And so when you're growing out your security team, when you're moving up into leadership, it's how you present that. And let's face it, money talks. So if you can quantify the cost of data and a breach, then, you know, and how data can be protected and used to help your business to grow, then you're going to definitely get the, the C-suite listening. I agree. I agree completely. And 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 I chuckled and I indeed I wrote it down. Nokia 6310. You both <laughs> It had the best uh, memory. So it was a little, it had a gold cover, gold covering on, on the phone. You brought back some wild memories, some wild, wild memories. I, I remember I used to have a, a Nokia a 9210 communicator, which you could flip open and had a little keyboard inside it. And I guess that was before the, the days of touchscreen. Um, but I could never imagine that would have been a secure device at all. So I don't think you had an easy job running that project, but, but you certainly paved the way for, for, I'm sure, what we do now with these other devices. So, so, so skipping on, Neve, you're, you're a CISO now. You're a CISO at Fernego. And I'm really curious, and I'm sure our, our listeners will be um, to understand what does that actually mean? 
what does a CISO do all day? Could you uh, invite us into a day in the life of a CISO uh, in an in an organization like that, and and just kind of give us a glimpse as to you know what are you busy with and and who are you working with and what are you driving forward and trying to achieve in in that role? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and you know people have in their head you know, a vision of, of what a CISO is. And I can, I can tell you it, it's not, it's not what people think it is. It's, it's better. If you're really passionate about security, it's an amazing opportunity to shape and grow an organization because you're working with all levels of that organization because you need to understand the culture and you're looking at the people aspect around security, the processes, so how the business operates and then the technologies and you're getting an opportunity to influence the direction, but also learn about organizations. So you're working with finance, marketing, sales, customer support, technology teams, product teams, the HR team, facilities management, it's professional services. It's just amazing the opportunities that it brings. And that's why I think people think, oh God, security oh you have to be a techie no take a step back and see that security is a business differentiator and it touches every aspect of the business interesting interesting you mentioned a word in there that i'd like to double click on if that's okay with you you mentioned you 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 obviously support uh you know multiple kind of micro organizations within the broader organization departments and and functions but you mentioned the word culture you've got to understand the culture what does security culture mean to you Yeah, so culture is an interesting word. So in summary, it's that people put security first. They value it from a business perspective. And what Finergo do different around this, and I haven't seen it in any other organization where I work, is we set a security first objective for every single member of our organization and team. So at the end of their goal review process, um, they get the opportunity to speak to their manager around the five KPIs associated with that goal, how they shaped security within their role or their remit and how they contributed to security first culture. Interesting. Can I just make sure that I've understood what you're saying? You're saying at Fernergo, you, in order to essentially live up to the value of a security first culture, you have built security into the performance goals of all colleagues across the organization is that is that right that 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 is correct yeah interesting and 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 has that been an easy thing to implement and roll out and and get adoption across or have you faced some challenges along the way of getting that kind of accepted no uh, it was within the first month of my joining that we decided to do that as an organization totally have buy-in from the executive leadership team and mark murphy the ceo on a monthly basis i would actually sit down with mark for 10 minutes we do 10 minute stand up where you know we we talk about the security culture within finergo you know what's on my mind what's on his mind how he thinks we're doing how i think we're doing and what we need to focus on and again it's all about the culture making sure that people take security first and it's part of our day-to-day operations i think that's fascinating and and 
you enjoy the support and the the encouragement um, and, and and practical kind of engagement with the, the 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 CEO of the organization as it pertains to this. What what advice or perhaps what role do you think leadership in general needs to play in the development of security culture outside, of course, what you guys have done, which is genuinely innovative and different, which is embedding it into performance goals. What are some of the other things that leaders listening to this call could could think about in terms of in terms of how to develop a strong security culture and a security posture? Security first, uh, really prioritizing the security team's actions and asks, and whether that's through technology, through ticketing, assigning work, to working with them on incidents and threats that they face or risks, risks that come into the risk management framework. But it is prioritizing uh, security actions and making sure that they get implemented. If I look back on my career, I have been involved in, in organizations that have suffered breaches and speaking with technology and operation leaders, that is their one regret is, is not prioritizing security because after a breach, it's, you know, it's very different from everyone's perspective, has huge impacts on the organization, the growth of an organization, the cost to an organization, and then personally on top of people that have played leadership roles and then on the ground, people in the day-to-day interface of it. And that's where really making sure people are aware of the role and responsibilities around security from receiving a phishing email to a phone call looking for information really comes in because breaches have huge huge impacts. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I think you're right that the, a breach, uh, if it does indeed happen, uh, can actually change the trajectory of an organization and in, in the worst case scenario, you know, limit the success of the, that organization and it might even have to cease to exist, depending on how sensitive it is, uh, the data that they possess and some of the information that they carry around. So this idea that, you know, we could work on these preventative measures through a security first mindset an action, not just a mindset, an action behind it, but yeah. Mindset and action, yes. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I think one of the the challenges that I perceive, and and I'm sure you've navigated this somehow, is in organisations that I come across sometimes, many people, you know, do believe that these programmes, these security programmes, are are there uh, as an afterthought and not as a first kind of uh, thing to think about. And, and and they think that way largely because they think, you know, I'm here to do a certain job and uh, there are people that do that job and sometimes we'll cross uh, each other in the corridor and shake hands on a security issue, but actually everybody's responsible for something else. But what you're describing is something entirely different. This is the way the organization operates. It is indeed the culture of the organization because it's so embedded at the, at the, at the forefront. Uh, how would you advise somebody that perhaps is, is not in an organization that's so progressive and open uh, to this kind of collaboration that's that's horizontal across all departments and 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 functions. I would say break down your security training and awareness program into categories. So the training being the modules are of at a discipline level, the awareness happening on a quarterly basis, and then the consciousness. So do drills to see how conscious people are to the various different threats that they face, like phishing, tailgating. Don't just stick to the the physical side of it and measure it. Measure each of those activities. Keep the stats around it uh, and use that as your way to prioritize what you need to do, but bring it to the leadership team to demonstrate like these are the threats that we're facing on the ground. 
I think that's I think that's really really rather helpful, and and that breakdown is something that I think even if we were perhaps as part of the publishing of this episode, I might put a little slide together as a downloadable because that in and of itself is gold dust, Neve, uh, and something I think somebody somewhere uh, is definitely going to take that and implement it in their organization and start to kind of actually shift culture. If we can change uh, tracks just a little bit, uh, talking about these security professionals, the, the members of these teams, the people that work with you directly, there has been a general observation, I think, in technology uh, or broadly across the market of what's described as the great resignation, where people feel like they are in thankless jobs, the work is hard, it's difficult to uh, to evidence success or progress, especially if you're working in a team that tries to prevent things from happening rather than a team that is focused on making things happen in in, in in one sense, have you observed a sort of professional burnout uh, in the security industry from security professionals? And, and and if so, what do you think is driving some of that fatigue within within security professionals? Yeah, I, I think COVID had, has a lot to do with the disconnect uh, to an organization, potentially, uh, just from talking to peer uh, people, you know, my peer group, other CISOs. But if I take a step back and I look at even at my own career, I developed my technical muscle around security very quickly uh, over the course of my first 10 years. But I needed time to build my business muscle, so understanding industry and how business operates, and also my professional muscle around communication style, what I need to show to executive and boards. And so I think that is continues to happen. And it's really why I went back lecturing. People develop at a technical pace around security very quickly, but they don't necessarily add to their entire tool set around the business side, the professional side. And so they can't influence, they can't get the right buy-in for programs where security should fit within an organization, how you give your updates to the board. And they're very much seeing that you know, they're not at the right level. So they're pushed into a technology function or org. And therefore, they get burnt out because they don't also know how to grow and scale teams. They don't know what to focus on. And and so that, you know, that continues to be a trend. And it's sad. It's sad because for the professionals involved, I'm actually mentoring four people at the moment that have actually quit their jobs, don't want anything to do with the industry. And I'm trying to influence them to say, actually, just take some time out and rethink that because you're a brilliant professional, brilliant expertise. Let me help you to try and build some of the other muscle you need. Not a Fenergo. These are these are people that I would have worked with in other organizations. So, yeah, I think... I think the industry really needs to look at how we can support more professionals to stay in it or encourage more people into it. You've touched on so much there. I wish we had an hour to kind of go into uh, all that you've said there. But uh, the, the one thing that I take away is, you know, the technical understanding and capability is not sufficient to evidence the importance of the work that is being done in those teams to the organization, unless you can you know, go up the elevator in terms of board level communication style and 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 delivery. And as an experienced board member yourself, could you give advice to those people that may be struggling with communicating with those senior stakeholders in the organization? What are the, some of the key things that boards are looking to understand about security and risk? And 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 how could we help our listeners to really you know, move themselves away from being siloed into a technical discipline and actually stepping up to being more strategic and influential on their executive leadership teams and on their boards. 
Yeah. And so the first thing is to understand the profile of your board. Who are the members there? What are the backgrounds? And who can be your ambassador or your advocate around your security program? People assume that's always in place around um, who's looking after risk within a board. It's not always. And so you really want to build an ambassador around the business side and the strategy side. So the person who really supports and influences business growth. And so you'll need that takes time, but it's to go into the board, the boardroom with those kind of questions, who's who, what roles, even though they're formal roles, but really who is your ambassador there and how you can build a relationship with them. Then it's to look at it from the business side. So the product offerings and the operations and to present the overall risk there. So don't go in and talk to them about hacking and pen testing. It's to present it in a financial risk if they don't invest in it. And then how do you separate it around how it helps the business to grow? And that's where it's built into your strategy around the revenue it influences, how trust and security generates and influences revenue. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And uh, I'm sure there are going to be many people that will reach out to try and, you know, get that mentorship from you that you just described, but also <laughs> to, to, to learn more about those principles of, you know, learn the profile of your board you know, really quantify the risk that's being carried and also identify those revenue opportunities for expansion and growth that can support the business through these programs. I think, you know, too often we are stuck in pen testing and, and, and that sort of thing um, and not actually talking about the strategic imperatives of the business, which means then we get relegated to non-influential kind of silos rather than actually being at the table when big decisions are being made about investment around these programs. I think that's gold dust, I have to say. Yeah, and it's to recognize uh, boards change as the comp- as companies grow. And there are certain requirements when a company goes public around board members. And it's so really understand where your organization is at and who's on the board and all of that research really helps you then around what should you be talking about from a cybersecurity strategy perspective and have your plan mapped to that, of course, a one to three to five year time frame. That's brilliant. I will definitely be coming back to you for yet another episode to double click on this particular topic because it is current. And also, Aniva, as you say, you know, boards change organizations change, but actually legislation is also changing and the expectations from the regulator and other players on what companies and boards should be delivering, what kind of oversight they should be having is also changing. And and I understand that as time evolves, they're becoming even personally liable for, 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 for how an organization is actually addressing cyber risk. And, 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 and because of that, you know, we all need to evolve our understanding and level up uh, in many ways, in terms of the contribution that we're making to strategy. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think the privacy regulations, particularly in APAC, how individual board members and directors can be held responsible has really brought that to the forefront. So I think we're likely to see more changes there. I think for board members, they really, they have a lot of information being uh, thrown at them and a lot of decisions to make you know, the pack that they receive to review and to come up with and then through the presentations. So it's very clear communication on it. In other organizations where I worked, the board members were always, when they came on and at least on an annual basis, they were asked to refresh around security training in general. And that was our way to actually begin to get them to see 
the value of trust and security and it builds their muscle around bringing them into the loop from a business strategy. What do they want to see from a trust and security perspective? Because they too are considered to be VIPs and hold critical information about companies. So you want to make sure that they are protected around however they receive their board packs, that they're following security best practices. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of more insights into some of the previous challenges in other organizations that I had around getting the board onboarded around trust and security, how it's a value, how it can really impact organizations. I don't, ha- thankfully, I don't have the same challenges at Finergo. And we're delighted to have the security first objective. That's brilliant. We're definitely going to come back to this. I'm so grateful for the time that you've given us today. I've got one more question, which I think there's a number of people that are wondering, you know, how they can get access to you or spend time with you as as a successful female leader, you know, paving the way for for others that are coming up. What advice uh, for young women who want to build a career in cybersecurity and tech do you have? And indeed, perhaps just more broadly around mentoring, whether, uh, you know, what would you say to somebody that's, you know, you know, nervous or thinking about approaching a senior leader like yourself uh, for support and guidance, what would you say to to our listeners today? Yeah, um, I'm all about the visibility of of leaders, uh, female leaders in the cybersecurity industry. Approach them. They're probably more than delighted to take you on on board because we all have this thing where we have a grow to give back. We want to give back. So don't ever be afraid to approach someone. If the individual themselves doesn't have the time to give, they'll connect you to a network and give you access to to the people or connect you there. And there is great organizations out there that do give time. You know, ISC Square to do a lot of work with them around their scholarship program. They have a wealth of resources that people can access at all stages of their career. I think looking back for me, um, I was very blessed to find Vanessa Pegaros at a critical stage when I was trying to move into that C-suite level. She really helped me grow my leadership skills to achieve my goal. Same way, I was very lucky to have somebody in Allied Irish Banks that gave me my career and mentored me. That was actually a man called Marcel McCann. And he mentored me up until the point that I, I met Vanessa. And I always wondered, was it different to have a female security leader and a mentor to a male? And it was, there were slightly, there, there slightly differences. She really helped me grow in confidence around my professional and business skills and really to challenge, to keep challenging and, and get, you know, the answers that I needed to get the career, the career. She summarized it as she opened the doors and I burst through them. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. That is brilliant. And and I can't say enough good things about mentoring. And I think you're a gift to the industry, having read your profile and the work that you continue to do, either through lecturing or even through sharing your insights and thought leadership here on this on this episode. I'm ever so grateful, Neve, for, for you giving us uh, the time today. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. And I am sure you'll be back because we've got loads more depth to get into on many of the insights that you shared today. Thank you so much for having me. And as we say, Erskad Nikhailis Nisawara Nadini, and that really means is we're in it together against the fight against cybercrime. 
Wow. 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 Well, uh, folks, you've heard it for yourselves. My guest today has been Neve Muldin, who is an award-winning information security thought leader, a Guinness Book of World Records uh, holder, um, a CISO, uh, and a wonderful mentor uh, to a number of professionals that are up and coming in their career. Watch out for this episode and many more to come. Neve, thank you once again and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye.